Good afternoon. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles, we'll be looking in them quite a bit this, uh, this afternoon. And as you do so, I would like to go ahead and echo the welcome that Joe made this morning, or this, excuse me, just a few minutes ago. Uh, welcome our visitors, all those that are with us, uh, even the ones that aren't much like visitors. Um, it sure is good to see all of you. It's good to have you here with us and to worship with us. And it's good to see all of our members that have made it out this afternoon. <clears throat> what we're we'll talking about uh, this afternoon is uh, the beginning of a, a series that we're going to start. And we're going to be looking at moral issues that are confronting Christians today. Moral issues that Christians are having to be faced with. And the fact is, Christians today are confronted with a lot of conflicting views of morality. People have different opinions over what's right and what's wrong. Uh, what was once generally accepted as, as something that, was, that was, was wrong or maybe was accepted as something that was true now is being challenged. We need to look no further than even our own government. Our own government challenging the, the concepts that the Bible has defined as marriage, not even just the Bible, but as people generally held as a, a, uh, a standard view of what married, marriage was. Um, we just see that there's a lot of conflict in the world, and there's a lot that Christians are confronted with. Maybe even in your businesses. You, you work for an employer that might ask you, uh, they ethically will support things such as lying or maybe stealing. They might ask you to kind of massage the numbers a little bit, uh, maybe to, to get a, a client to be more inclined to, to work with you. Or maybe we can't let people know that this, this, this money is not accounted for, so we'll just kind of sweep it under the rug. We'll, we'll do something to try to cover our tracks. So we see that morality in the world today is something that we have to be, we have to be examining. We have to be looking at. And how does one know? How does one know what is right and what is wrong, and specifically in areas of morality? Everyone does seem to have a sense of right and wrong, but the thing is, their standard that they use. We talked about that this morning in Bible class. The standard that we have oftentimes is different from, from one to another over what is right and wrong. And so for the answer for Christian is simple. The answer for a Christian is something that I think we, we won't be surprised at all. But before we can consider the answer for a Christian, let's first review what many accept as the authority in morality. What many look at as the authority in morality today. And the first one I want you to notice is their feelings. A lot of people look at their feelings and say, this is, this is how I gain my morality. Turn with me, if you will, back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14. What a lot of people tend to think is, well, if it feels good, it must be right. And, you know, there's no surprise. There's even uh, deno several denominations and several uh, places today that will preach this gospel of happiness, gospel of feel good. And basically they say if, if it makes you happy, if it makes you feel the way you want to feel, if it doesn't you know, step on your toes, then that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be happy. That's what's preached a lot today. In the Bible, it warns us about putting too much trust in those feelings. Look at Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Right off the bat, we're warned very quickly that, that our feelings can get us into a lot of trouble. Things that we feel are okay can possibly lead to our own demise. Look over at Proverbs 28. We'll turn over to chapter 28 and look in verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart 
is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. For those of us that trust in the feelings that, that we get, for those, if, if we're making our decisions over, over just how something makes me feel and how it maybe gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to do this right here, that's, that's what I'm going to judge whether it's right or wrong over. But the Bible says that person is a fool to do that. And in fact, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 10 and 23, Jeremiah says that he understood this. He said, O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not of himself. It is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah understood it wasn't about the way you feel. It wasn't about how it makes you feel to decide whether it's right or wrong. In fact, it didn't matter how you feel and the way, which way you even walked and where you, you pointed your path in life. It wasn't up to how it made you feel. It was up to something more. Many people today have destroyed themselves by putting too much emphasis and too much faith in their feelings. But that's not the only thing that people go too quickly as their authority and morality. There's other places people go. And this next one, this next one is Disney's fault. It's Disney's fault and it's thanks to a little tiny cricket by the name of Jiminy. Jiminy said this, coined this phrase, he said, let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. How many kids grew up, uh, I for one, grew up and I knew that phrase very well. And I, that's, that's, that's a good idea. My conscience will tell me if something's right or wrong. But that's not always the case. That's not always the case because a conscience is not always reliable. I heard a story one time of a man who was getting into horseback riding. And as he, he got involved in this, he said, I, I want to learn to ride a horse. Now that sounds like a lot of fun to me. So he goes to a person's house that has horses and says, will you teach me how to ride a horse? And they said, yeah, of course. Get, you know, get, on the, you know, get up here. So he gets up on it and he rides all day long. I think he said he rode eight hours that day. When he got off, he was walking kind of funny and his back hurt and he was just really, really sore. And he said, I, you know, he said that really, really hurt. And the guy said, don't worry. The more you do it, the less it will hurt. The more you do it, the more, what he was really saying is the more you do it, the more numb you'll be, the more, the more uh, calloused you'll become, and those things won't bother you anymore. And that is a perfect, perfect example of how sin affects our conscience. There's things that, that might really prick your conscience right now. Maybe, maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's some sort of lust. These things might really prick your conscience, but you know what? The devil is right there reminding you, if you just keep on doing it, eventually it's not going to prick your conscience anymore. Eventually it's not going to hurt. It's not going to be something that you feel guilty of. And for that reason right there, we can't trust our conscience because our conscience can be molded. It can change. I want a great example of this is seen in Acts 23. You might already be there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 23 talks about Paul. And Paul says in Acts 23 and in verse 1, he says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In all good conscience. This man, this man did some horrible things. This man was going throughout the, the, the countryside, rounding up Christians and throwing them in jail. This man was standing around holding coats while people murdered Christians. And he says, I have lived in all good conscience. And he wasn't lying. His conscience did not bother him when those things were going on. It says over in chapter 26, in verse 9 through 11, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul was doing some pretty terrible things. And that just goes to show us why we can't trust and put our faith in our conscience. Our conscience is like a clock. It only works when it's set properly. We need to make sure that we, we remember that. If it gets out of set, if it gets out of sorts, we can't put much faith in what, it's, in, in what it tells us is right. Another place people go to, you know, just right now, uh, just down the road in, in Lexington on, uh, this weekend, they were talking about uh, peer pressure at East End, and they, they gave a lesson on that, and that's exactly what people put in to what is okay, what our peers say. The, our authority and morality comes from our peers, from our friends, and what they tell us. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing it, and that makes it okay. That makes, it means I can just blend in with the crowd, but that is not what Jesus said. Jesus actually warned against that in Matthew 7. He said, be, be aware, be scared if you're going the same path as the rest of the world. In verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you look around and realize all of a sudden you're walking in the big crowd, you might want to ask yourself what you're doing there. You might want to look around and make sure that you're truly on that pathway to heaven and not, and not the wide road to hell. In fact, I want you to think for a second. If you're in that majority, if you're following along that majority, ask yourself, if I was in the majority in Noah's day, would I have been saved? If I was in the majority in Noah's day, would I have perished in the flood? If I was in the majority in Joshua's day, would I have sided with the ten spies or would I have sided with the two? Would I have, would I have lived to, to see the promised land or would I have died in the wilderness? Going along with the majority is very much like fo uh, lemmings following each other off a cliff. You know what lemmings are? You, I, I really don't have a clue what lemmings are, but I know from a video game that I used to play called Lemmings that they were these little yellow guys. And I, I think there's probably a deeper meaning to them than that. But there were these little guys that would just follow each other around. Everywhere they went, they'd follow each other around. They did the exact same things. And the purpose of the video game was to keep them from killing themselves, from, from falling off a cliff, because that's what lemmings do. They follow one another. Even if that first one walks off a cliff, the second one's going to follow him right off. And the third and the fourth, when we follow our friends, we're like these lemmings. We're, we very well could run the danger of walking, right, or walking ourselves right into hell. And then the fourth thing that I want to bring up, and the last thing that I'll bring up that people oftentimes accept is the authority in morality is their ministers. Their ministers, their preacher, or maybe a priest or a rabbi, etc., whatever it is that, that a certain denomination or one might hold fast to, if they say it's okay, if they say it's okay, then surely, because these men are men of God, they would never lead me astray. You know, Richard makes the joke sometimes, Brother Bob. Well, that's, that's very true today that so many people put so much faith in what a man says. But notice the warnings that Jesus, gave, uh, Jesus Paul, and Peter gave. Look in Matthew 15. And look in verse 12 through 14. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. 
We have to be careful that we're not following religious leaders who are blind. We're not blind ourselves following religious leaders. It's going to lead us into a place we don't want to be. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, they, the, they, or Peter, excuse me, Paul, Paul reads that they are ministers of Satan. Ministers of Satan. We want to make sure that we're not following one of these ministers of Satan that is directly opposing God. But look over in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3. In verses one, verse one through three reads, "Beloved, I now write to you this, uh, write you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust." He was saying there's going to be people that are coming. There are going to be people that are going to be false teachers. They're going to teach you false things, and it's to their destruction. Don't follow along with them. Don't follow them blindly down the road. Following the wrong, following any minister. Excuse me, I wrote this down, and I didn't like the way I wrote it down. Following the wrong minister can lead to corruption. Following anybody other than the Bible can lead to corruption. That's going to lead us into our final point. What many accept as the authority and morality, what do Christians accept as the authority and morality? Let's consider now that Jesus has all authority. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 18. He says this in what's oftentimes called the, the Great Commission. Jesus said in verse 18, He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that goes for areas including things like sexual, sexual morals and, and behavior. Ephesians 4. I want to turn over there real quick. Ephesians 4 and verse 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk, work in all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> so we see Jesus' authority, and His authority in areas that includes things like like. The, the things that we focus on today, like things like sexual immorality, like say, things like our behavior. And we have to also realize that one day, because He has all authority, one day He's going to be the one responsible for judging all mankind. Look over at Acts 17. Acts 17 and verse 30 and 31, where we read, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commends all men, <clears throat> all men everywhere to repent, because He, was appoint, he has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this, of this to all by raising Him from the dead. One day, Jesus, who has all authority, is going to come and He's going to judge. And what's He going to judge by? What is He going to judge us by? John 12 tells us it's by His words. John 12 verse 48. It says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. 
we can be aware that Jesus is the ultimate standard of authority in morality. And, and oftentimes people are okay to understand that. They'll, they'll say, okay, we get that. I get that. The word's in red. That's what i got to live by. But the fact is Jesus also delegated his authority. And he delegated it to the apostles. Uh, he says in Matthew 10 and verse 40, to receive them is to receive him. Matthew 10 and verse 40. It says, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, well, you can't believe that because that was Paul. Paul said that. That wasn't the words of Jesus. That was the words of a man. And what they're really saying is, is I have a problem with the way Jesus left things in order. I have a problem with the way he did it, and I'm not going to accept that part of it. And what they're really saying is I'm not going to accept any of it. They can make, you, know, you can make the claim all you want that I want, I'll accept the words in red and only the words in red. But if you accept the words in red, you better be reading the words in black. <clears throat> and to illustrate this even more, look at 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Excuse me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 20 reads, uh, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The apostles were sent. We are sent as ambassadors for Christ. But the authority that, that we get to understand our, our morality, to understand the things that the apostles came from, was an a, a authority that was given to them directly from Jesus. Jesus gave them this authority. He set them up as ambassadors and, and therefore the words that they speak are words that are reflected of Jesus himself. And to ensure reliability, to ensure that these men didn't get something wrong, Jesus went an extra step, something that he hasn't done for us, something that he did for them. He promised them the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. And then John 16, 12, and 13, he said the Spirit will guide you. So you can know that what you're saying, that the words that you say are authoritative, that you will be guided into all truth. And that's exactly what we see happen in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, I'm starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak and, uh, with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. The apostles proclaimed the whole counsel of God, as Acts 20 tells us in verse 27. And Christians were expected to accept the apostles' teachings, as if it was the word of truth. That tells us that in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and in verse 37, where we read, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. It wasn't what the apostles just felt like saying. It wasn't what Paul and Peter and, and John and what the, all the apostles that were preaching to these people. It wasn't just men saying, I think this would be a good idea. 
This is my feelings. These are what we say as friends, as ministers. They're saying, no, this comes from the only standard of authority we have. It originates back from Jesus, shared with us by the Holy Spirit, and is authoritative to you. The Apostles' Doctrine is the Christian standard of authority as well. And their authority also pertains to areas of morality. Paul solemnly charged the church in Thessalonica. Look over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 8. He tells them and he addresses things like sexual immorality and marital faithfulness. He says in verse, uh, starting in verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you, were, uh, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that, you, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore he rejects. Uh, excuse me, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. So we see them charging the church in Thessalonica in areas of morality and showing their authority in, in, in this light. And also in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 through 32, they also talk about, their, uh, about areas of morality. Starting in verse 17, And this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your formal conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on a new man, which was created <clears throat> according to God in truth, righteousness, and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Morality. Morality is an integral part. It's an integral part of the truth that is in Jesus. But many people today go through life confused about morality. They constantly wonder, is this right or is this wrong? Should I do this or should I not do this? And they stumble their way through life, tripping and, and, and just stumbling all over, making wrong choices, wrong choices with terrible, terrible consequences. The Christians need not be confused about morality. We don't need to be confused. We don't need to wonder if this is right or if this is wrong. Because Ephesians 4 and verse 21 tells us the truth. The truth is in Jesus. 
as we read 2 Peter 1.3, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you're looking for the truth as it pertains to morality, then I want you to remember the words that we started this sermon out by. Remember the words of Peter. And, and I've, I've got them on the board here in the, the contemporary English version because I really like the way it read. We don't obey people. We obey God. Our morality doesn't come from our friends. Our morality doesn't come from our heart, from our feelings, from a minister. Our morality comes from God. The fact is, people aren't the ones calling you to repentance. People aren't calling you to baptism. People aren't calling you to make that good confession. And people aren't even calling you to to confess your sins to one another. God is calling. Are you willing to heed the words of Peter? We obey God. If there is anything that you have need this this evening, I ask that you consider these things. And if there's something that we can do, we, we pray, we encourage you. Please come forward now as we stand and sing.